Thank you, folks, for leading us in singing this morning. Appreciate that. August 12th, 1983. The attendants wheeled the stretcher past me. I was standing in the hall of the old Woodstock General Hospital. Cynthia was on the stretcher. She's rolled by me into the operating room. Her eyes were closed. She looked like a piece of chalk. There was no color at all in her lips. In the later months of her pregnancy, Cynthia wasn't able to lay on her back without getting lightheaded and then eventually sick to her stomach. It was obviously obvious that she was struggling, but there was absolutely nothing we could do. I can't remember being anxious at the time. Maybe ignorance is bliss on occasions like that. Or we're just so excited to welcome our first child into this world. The nurse told me that the doctor needed to prep Cynthia and then she would come back and, and get me. A few minutes later, I was ushered to Cynthia's side. It wasn't long before the doctor announced, wow, look at the chest on that guy. He's going to be a linebacker for the Toronto Argonauts. <laughs> he didn't need to say any more. <laughs> Cynthia and I became lost in the miracle of the moment. Tears leaked from our eyes. A few minutes later, they ushered me out of the operating room. But before heading upstairs, I found a payphone. And I dialed 0-519-882-2062. Hi, Mom. It's George. Cynthia and I have a baby boy. Yes, she's doing fine. Eight pounds, 7.5 ounces. Josiah David, J-O-S-I-A-H. Yes, I know it's different, but I'll explain later. And then I called Cynthia's mom and dad and shared the good news with them. Two phone calls, and that was it. Off to the maternity ward. And Cynthia and I had the privilege of making that birth announcement twice more. Michael, on June 14th, 1985, and Lucas arrived on March 20th, 1987. Announcing the safe arrival of each of those little babies was probably one of the most greatest thrills of my life. This morning, we're going to look at Jesus' birth announcement. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me for the reading from God's Word. Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 and read down through to the end of verse 14. 
Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on the way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for this written revelation. You have ensured that it has been supernaturally preserved down through the ages so that we can sit here this morning with reliable copies in our very hands. What a gift. It is an authoritative word, requiring our full attention and obedience. It is a sufficient word, providing all that we need to live lives in ways that will please you and glorify you. Thank you for this report announcing Jesus' birth, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The miracle of the incarnation. God dressed in human flesh. Thank you for the birth of Jesus. Use this account of the announcement of his birth to direct, enhance, and enrich our Christmas celebrations and even beyond, we pray. And now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.
the birth of Christ, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. Come, let us adore him. The unique features of Jesus' birth announcement found here in Luke chapter 2 invite us to worship God. Look again at verses 8 and 9. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. So this was not a parental birth announcement. Neither Mary nor Joseph had anything to do. They weren't even consulted. Unique feature number one is the messenger. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, before the shepherds. A single angel appearing before plural shepherds. And remember, these shepherds are not wimps. They are rugged outdoorsmen. Outdoorsmen who were prepared to do whatever was required, whatever was necessary to protect their flocks from thieves or predators. One angel, plural shepherds. Now granted, he, this angel, arrives suddenly, which may suggest that he caught these shepherds completely by surprise. Reminds me of those post-resurrection appearances of Jesus we studied at the end of the Gospel of John. Remember how his disciples were behind closed doors, locked in order, because of their fear for the Jewish religious establishment, and all of a sudden, Jesus would appear in their midst. And they too were afraid. For sure, these shepherds were not expecting an angel to show up in the middle of their night shift. This was a once-in-a-lifetime event, never to be repeated. It caught them completely by surprise. But this is not the first time this angel has made an appearance in Luke's account. Turn back to chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and notice verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Look down at verse 19. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you 
and to bring you this good news. That was John the Baptist's conception announcement through the angel Gabriel to Zacharias. John would be the forerunner to prepare the way for Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Now look at verse 26 of that same chapter. Now in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now this is the conception announcement by Gabriel the angel to Mary. Perhaps that's why the angel remains nameless by the time we get to Luke chapter 2, when he appears to the shepherds. How many times do we have to be introduced to the same individual? Chances are that this is the same Gabriel, God's messenger, commissioned, sent with a message for some shepherds who are staying out in the fields nearby, watching over their flocks that very night. Notice not only did the angel appear suddenly, but the glory of the Lord shone around them. In the Bible, this glory of God, or the glory of the Lord, is a reference to God's presence, and is often symbolized by bright light, or fire, or lightning. In the Old Testament, the the glory of God is often associated with the tabernacle or the temple. Listen to this example from Exodus chapter 40, verse 35. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Think New Testament now. Where does that cloud show up again? Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to join him going up the mountain for a time of prayer. Flip, flip over to Luke chapter 9. Let's begin at verse 29 of Luke chapter 9. They're now up the mountain, the four of them, and while he was praying, that's Jesus, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with, them, with him, and they were Moses and Elijah who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. But when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. 
And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of these things which they had seen. The glory of, the, of God enveloped them on the mountain of transfiguration. Back in Luke chapter 2, the glory of the Lord shone around these shepherds and they were terribly frightened, is what the NIV, NASB translates. The other translations use, they were terrified. The ESV reads, they were filled with great fear. Have you ever been there? Filled with great fear? The original language, Luke actually strings three words together here. Phobeo, Phobos, and Megas. The first two are clearly have the same root word. One is actually a verb. The other is a noun of the exact same word. Phobos. It's where we get our English word, phobia. So he has a verb and then the noun, same word, phobos. And then he has megas. Mega. Great. Big. A huge fearing fear is what these shepherds were experiencing as this angel showed up with the glory of the Lord. This was a unique encounter, a messenger sent to deliver Jesus' birth announcement. Let's move on. Look at verses 10 to 12 in Luke chapter 2. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Unique feature number two is the message. First it was the messenger, now it's the message. There's several things that I want to point out that are contained in this message delivered by the angels to these shepherds who were out on the fields nearby watching over their flocks that night. First of all, 
Do not be afraid. Those are words of comfort for men who were absolutely terrified. And there is more. Secondly, behold, I bring you good news. Don't be afraid. I have some good news for you. I remember we walking home one night with some buddies after a, a Boy Scout meeting at the Scout Hall. It was either Scouts or, or Cubs. I can't remember which. I, I, I know we were really young. And uh, it must have been in the winter months because it was dark. And um, as we were getting close to home, I remember someone in the group challenged the others. They had just recently installed street lights around, along this new street, and we wondered who could be the first to bust one of them with a rock. <laughs> Some of the other guys thought, ah, that doesn't look exciting. Let's see how far we can throw the rocks. And we were aiming at a garage on the next street over through a vacant lot, and this garage was near the back of the property, and so we were hurling these rocks to see if we could hit, and of course they would bang off the siding and, and so on. Once the, I don't think we broke any lights, but once the game was over, we all headed home. I arrived home, I got ready for bed, and I just drifted off to sleep when I heard my dad calling me. And it wasn't the call, but it was the tone of the voice that left me a little bit concerned. So I can remember making my way down the stairs, opening the door at the bottom of the stairs, and there standing in the front door of our home was this rather large, fully uniformed police officer. All of a sudden, I had to go to the bathroom really badly. <laughs> The good news is that he was there investigating a complaint. And I told him what I knew, and he told me what I better keep in mind in the future. He left, and my father reinforced his straight talk with even straighter talk. I don't think I thought it was good news at the time. But looking back, the combination of my dad and that police officer did leave a lasting impression on a young boy's life. It was certainly a behold moment. And I was terrified at the time. But here, the angel continued by expanding on that good news with a couple of really important qualifiers. Did you notice that? This good news message that will cause great joy. Now, a message that causes great joy would definitely be a good news message. You can't argue that. How could it not be? Additionally, throughout this book of the Bible, Luke's Gospel account, 
whenever he comes to that word joy, it's very often associated with salvation. So it's good news of great joy that will cause great joy. And notice too, it was good news message for all people. It's not exclusive. It's inclusive. It's not like going to Costco and you have to produce your membership card before you even get in the front door. It's more like going to Sobeys or Zares. They're accessible to anyone and everyone. That too makes it good news message for all people who are prepared to hear and respond appropriately. So the angel's message contained words of comfort and then some good news. And verse 11 really presents the essence of what this angel's message was all about. Today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the only occurrence in the entire gospel where that word translated Savior is used. One commentator wrote, he has announced the birth of a Savior, which was, then in parentheses, and is exactly the need of mankind. We don't need another advisor, a reformer, a committee, but a Savior. That is so very true. The Apostle Peter explained it this way in his own epistle. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Jesus came to save us from sin and the guilt that will be associated with that sin. And it is a universal problem. There are no exceptions. The psalmist leaves no doubt. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand. Any who seek God, they have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is not one who does good, not even one. Psalm 14, verses 1 and 2, which the Apostle Paul actually quote, quotes again in, in Romans chapter 5. We are not capable of saving ourselves. We are in desperate need of a Savior. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's another unique combination, Christ the Lord. It appears nowhere else in the New Testament. It's referring specifically to God, to Israel's long-awaited Messiah. He has arrived. The final thing that I'd like us to notice in this message is the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths 
and lying in a manger. Do you find that interesting, that phrase? Think about that for a moment. It's interesting to me to note that there are no distinguishing features about this baby. None. They could not distinguish Jesus from any other baby. He was extraordinarily ordinary in his appearance. His identification markers would be that he is wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And it would be unusual for a baby to be laid in a manger. In a manger? Especially a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Israel's long-awaited Messiah, their conquering king. Can you imagine? It appears the angel assumed that these shepherds would be going to Bethlehem to look for this new baby. Did you notice the pattern emerging here from those three birth announcements to Zacharias and then to Mary and then to the shepherds? All three begin with the appearance of an angel. A response of fear follows shortly. A command not to fear. And then in all three, there is this announcement of joy. A joy that is often related to salvation. It was a unique messenger delivering a unique message. And now look again at verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. What's happening here? What's the unique feature? Number three, heaven's celebrations. There's not too many occasions when God pulls back the curtain and allows us a glimpse into heaven. But this is one of those occasions. Some shepherds out in the hills just outside of Bethlehem have a huge privilege. and They see heavenly hosts, angels beyond number, praising God and ascribing glory to him. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah is another who had one of those glimpses behind the curtain. Listen as I read his description found in Isaiah chapter 6. It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling to each other, Holy, 
Holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its very foundation. The entire building was filled with smoke. This is a glimpse into heaven that took Isaiah's breath away. So awesome in the truest sense of the word. Remember when our oldest son, Josiah, came and preached here at the Rock Community Church? I think he was visiting following the AGC National Conference that John Otto and Wayne and I attended on behalf of the Rock. And actually it was the same conference that Bill was installed as the president of the AGC. Josiah's text that morning I don't know whether you'll remember, was Revelation chapter 4. I don't think I'll ever forget it. Let's turn there for a moment. Revelation chapter 4. Again, a glimpse into heaven. Chapter 4, verse 1. After these things I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. Let's drop down to verse 11, verse 8. And the four creatures each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and because of your will, they exist and were created. In Revelation chapter 4, the Apostle John gets a glimpse into a worship service that is happening in heaven. It's amazing. And then in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables that explain God's desire to see lost people be found. Lost people are those who, by their very nature, are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Paul was speaking of lost people when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But a natural man, that's someone who is lost, 
does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Lost people have an impairment that will not allow them to understand or grasp spiritual realities. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gets even more specific with his description. And you were, in the past, as lost people, dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Beloved, that's a, that's a description of lost people. But in Luke chapter 15... Jesus uses a parable of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son to communicate God's heart for lost people. His desire for them to be found. And when they are found, listen to what happens in heaven. Described first in verse 7 of Luke chapter 15. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then in a similar way, just three verses later, in the same way I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Repentance means that we are prepared to turn away from our sin. You want nothing to do with it anymore. And you accept what the Bible says about you is absolutely true. That all of us, all of us has fallen short. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Can you admit that you have sinned against God? That's where we have to begin. by acknowledging that you are a sinner. And then once we admit that we are sinners, we look to Jesus, believing that he died for our sins and my sins, according to the scriptures, and believing that he rose from the dead. He was buried and then rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. If you believe that with all of your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, bow the knee 
yielding to his leadership in your life. He comes and takes residence within our lives. Whenever a person does that, all heaven rejoices. The same kind of celebration witnessed by those shepherds on the hillside outside the town of Bethlehem in first century Palestine when Jesus took on human flesh. That kind of celebration happens when each and every individual places their faith in Jesus Christ and begins trusting him alone for their salvation. In verse 14 of Luke chapter 2, the angel's praise is first directed toward God as they honor him by praising God in the highest. And secondly, they pronounce a blessing of peace among the men whom he is pleased with. The idea here is primarily requesting freedom, not freedom from nation-to-nation conflict or interpersonal conflict. It's talking more about peace with God, wholeness, rest for our souls, a well-being for all those who have been recipients of God's grace. This is not something any of us deserve or could earn. Isaiah chapter 26 reads, The steadfast of mind you'll keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. There it is. That's the blessing that the angels were announcing at the time of Jesus' birth. What are some implications of these verses? Primarily, follow heaven's example. We sang a Christmas carol last night that extends an appropriate invitation. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. You know, the scriptures are full of all kinds of appeals, invitations, examples, even commandments to worship God. As a local church that claims to hold a high view of scripture, we exist first and foremost to glorify God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 makes it crystal clear. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In the midst of his interaction with a Samaritan woman at a well in Samaria, in the province of Samaria, Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 4, verse 23. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And why do we find it so difficult? What prevents us from worshiping him in spirit and in truth? 
me just list, I came up with seven worship inhibitors. Number one, we get distracted. The busyness of life. Number two, ungratefulness. A spirit of ungratefulness. We're like the ten lepers who were healed. One comes back, the nine go on their merry way. Habitual or unconfessed sin. Ignorance. A lack of knowledge about God. Pride. Unforgiveness and or bitterness. And then relying on our emotions. I don't feel like it. Finally, anxiety. The worries of life choke our worship to death. Those are some of the worship inhibitors. Allow me to share just four scripture references that will, and there are endless possibilities in the word that will help us be the kind of worshipers that God is looking for. Psalm 29 verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Or the New Living Translation reads, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Have to know God to be able to do that. Psalm 95, 1 to 6. You want to jot that one down? I'll let you read that on your own. Psalm 95, 1 to 6. It begins, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Hebrews 12, verses 20, 28 and 29. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable servants with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. And then finally, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Come. Come, let us adore him. Allow me to, rather than close in prayer, Allow me to read Psalm 145 for us today in closing. Listen to these words. The Lord's righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear the cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.